Hello, and welcome to Weed and Grub. What up, Mary Jane? How's it going, Mike? It's going so <laughs> good. Welcome to We Didn't Grub, everybody. This is a podcast about comedy, cannabis, culture, cooking, calling shit out, and Reggie Watts. Yeah. Ah, Reggie wrote a book called Great Falls, Montana, Fast Times, Post-Punk Weirdos, and A Tale of Coming Home Again, and he's here to talk to us about it. Wait, put it back there. That was like late night host style. Oh, yep. That was go. so good. Of course, we all know Reggie was the band leader for James Gordon on the Late Late Show, so appropriate. Yeah. Are you gunning for a little late night hosting yourself? Who, me? Yeah. No, I would never. No? No. Maybe Saturday morning cartoon hosting. Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> you know, like I could put on my beaver up and be like, hello, kids, like maybe that <laughs> level. But no, I couldn't do what they do. <laughs> You're the late night guy. Well, let's get into it. And we can discuss this at <laughs> another time. I, I'm sorry I brought it up um, because we have a great guest we should get to. Uh, everybody, please enjoy our conversation with the wonderful, the weird, the magical Reggie Watts. How did that even happen that there are two they Zooms? They were before, they were before Zoom. Companies. I know. They, I know. Well, because I guess they're different things, right? It's like one's a hardware but doesn't one always dominate? Like, isn't there one oh. that works? It like that takes. Well, Zoom, Zoom, the uh, what do you call it? The web telecommunication, presence, whatever thing is like that's the meeting app. That's definitely much more well known than Zoom, the recording devices. But I'm so surprised that they're they're oh. able to coexist. Well, I mean, it shows you that there could be a resolution to Palestine and, and Israel. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's how we wanted that's to start. A, that's a yeah. two-tech solution. <laughs> that's a exactly. two-tech solution. Yeah, yeah, one-tech solution. <laughs> uh, Reggie Watts, welcome to Weed and Grub. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm so excited to talk to you about a million things, but... Um, I don't know. We should start with your book. Yeah, okay. let's not wait till the end to plug. Yeah. Let's get plugs out top. It's Ooh, such like a good it. book. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank I you. listened to it and Mary Jane read it so we could have the full oh, experience. And we That's were chatting nice. back and forth as that was going on. So we were like, Mike was like, I've just gotten to this place where this is happening. What's happening for you at that point as you're reading it? Yeah. And I'm hearing it. Yeah. And it was really neat to compare notes. Ugh. That's so cool. It's a it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Thank you. It was really um moving and um i don't know it just it touched a lot of different pieces of my life and i felt like so, i recognized so much of my own dna in it but also then so much that i never knew about you and i met you a long time ago and i felt like there was a, a ton that i knew about you and i just got to look into this huge <laughs> like yeah like a look at who how you became you yeah yeah it, it was it's just like very abstract to have it out there finally because it's so long you you know you work on it and then after you're done then there's you know months and months and months go by and then finally just that date happens and i'm like oh yeah now it's out and people can get it how does it feel that feels it feels good i mean there's not i mean i think people are enjoying it i don't have any metrics about it at all right now but um in general it seems to be good the critical reviews seem to be pretty, pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And I think that the, you know, it's cool to have like some firsts, I guess. I don't know if it's, it seems like maybe it's the first book to have QR codes. I, I wouldn't have thought that it would be, but apparently someone will 
be able to correct that but uh <laughs> but i but a lot of people bookstores will be like that that you know we've never we haven't seen that before yeah and so um i just thought it would be funny to have qr codes in a book just to- what uh, so in the audio version um there are no qr codes so what are the qr codes in the written copy for all, all the all the music that you hear oh that's awesome yeah all the music that's in there is uh is all and the commercial and the intermission commercial and your acceptance call from Cornish. Oh yeah. 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 Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. It was fun putting that together. Have you been hearing from friends who are in the book? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people My uh, it's funny. My, my ex Paula McNeese, uh, from Seattle came to my show in Seattle and I, I hadn't, uh, for this last book tour and, uh, I hadn't, I haven't seen her in like 30 some years and it was so crazy to like, look, you know, she was kind of not familiar for a microsecond and then suddenly it hit and I felt like I was like meeting like a superstar or something, you know, like I felt like I was meeting, you know, like someone that I was a fan of for a long time. never thought I would get to meet or something. It was a very interesting feeling that I hadn't felt before, but it was just so good to see her. It was great. So she came out of the woodwork and, um, and so I've reconnected with a few, few people. Nice. It's been awesome. And she gave the ring back. No, this was a that was a different uh, that was a different uh, girlfriend. Joanne was the one that took the ring. <sighs> Although she'll probably read the book and go, "It's not right. I don't have it. I don't know if I have it. Do I?" Um, she's wearing it. On yeah, one she's hand. like, "I don't have it. I melted it. I melted it down and I made a necklace." No, I I don't I don't know. I mean, I think one of my friends still keeps in touch with the Hyde sisters, um, but. I don't know if I'll ever hear from them. Oh man! If you do, I want I want to know about it. Yeah, please. I will. I will tell you. You'll be the first. You'll be the first to let <laughs> first call. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, <laughs> a big part of it, the book is about your um, competitive drama uh, DNA, like how that. And I one didn't know that about you. Two, it makes the most sense. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, like it was just such a, like. Can you explain a little bit about how you entered into that scene? Because you were sort of like trying different pieces or, or different personas on for a while in high school. And you tried a bunch of different things and that just felt like the best fit for you. Well, I mean, it was a good it was good practice to try on all the dumb things that I would do in my bedroom by myself, you know, but I could do it outwardly, you know, in front of people. And that was definitely an opportunity for me to, you know, just get it out, I guess it was, it was, uh, you know, very fortuitous that that existed. Cause I, I, cause I'd done a little bit of speech, uh, yeah, some speech debate stuff in junior high, mm-hmm. just a taste of it. And then I try, and then I actually did speech and debate in high school for a little bit and they had extemp- extemporaneous monologue, I think was a category that you could do. And I tried some, um, I forgot what the other category is, but where you argue like lawyers, you're like kind of going back and forth, you're doing, you're doing arguments. Yeah. yeah. Debate. Like it's called debate. <laughs> <sighs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, I, but I didn't quite like it because it was this competition and I didn't really, I didn't like that. I like the competition where like I'll do something 
then someone a contained thing and then I go away and then someone else does a contained thing and then everyone kind of thinks about what do they like better that I didn't mind mm -hmm. but just the in the moment like my client here says that he is a proponent of the redistricting of our you know what <laughs> and it's like I would argue you know like that kind of thing which oh. I think is funny but I think it'd be more funnier if you're just doing it as a goof rather than to convince people can we do a British accent off real quick in competitive drama, in the spirit of competitive drama? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, this uh, is the best I can do. So It's not bad. This it's, is a bit cockney, as well as a little, a little bit of a, mm -hmm. of a partier. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think a Great. lot of my British friends would be like, that is spot on. Wow. <laughs> Damn, it's, like an it's like a very English person doing an American accent. You know, when yeah. they do like John Wayne. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's like, I just heard some. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah, there's I mean, everybody. It's like terrible at everybody else's. I don't accent. know. Both of you are incredible at British. That's why I wanted to tee it up because I've uh, tried to talk and then Mary Jane has this perfect one and you have such a good one as well. I well, it depends. I used to be better at it because my dad grew up in York. Oh, okay. And so they had that Northern no, Yorkshire. Uh, that's a Shut great. up and eat your bloody banana. Yeah, it's beautiful. They're going on a walk on a Sunday with the seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> that's beautiful. Like that beautiful lilty Northern sound. That's the one I can't do. I can't really do Northern very, very well. But I can't do the RP, the like Queen's English, English oh. that you do so perfectly. Oh, well. Is it from Monty? Like Monty Python? Is that where it it's really Monty, started? Yeah. My Python PBS. Mm -hmm. Like like all the this period pieces and all the bbc shows that were on like that was really where that came all from. the sort of wonderful yeah this is a cheese shop yes i don't it's a, <laughs> i don't know what you're saying but i'm telling you now if i don't go tonight i'm gonna go tomorrow and if i'm here tomorrow you're gonna be asking for it you know whatever. <laughs> <laughs> just because i'm moist and bent lobbed a scimitar at you don't make you king <laughs> no he's right no I've, I've spoken with him he's a old one that one you know <laughs> so good. you know like it's like all those characters are just swimming around because yeah. that's what I, that's that's what i heard as a, as a kid and i and i loved it i loved something really beautiful about it and sometimes when i travel and i'm doing accents i try to tell my friends especially in the uk i'm like i'm not making fun of you like don't think that i like i predicate i'm like believe me i'm not making fun of you like i love the accents like and mm -hmm. and and if it's that terrible then please let me know but most of the time they 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 just let it roll and because there's like also there's people like you can do like if you're talking like this and uh, yeah I grew up in London you know not too far out from um, you know my mum's place it's like ah no it's about like three maybe three miles away from uh, Hackney Wick around that area oh, right I grew then. up there oh, yeah. but like I went to school a bit in like Berlin you know so there's like a mm -hmm. it's a washed out London accent and so mm -hmm. you can kind of get away with it in London because my accent will it'll it'll kind of meld into other accents it doesn't stay necessarily solid and so um so i always attribute that it's like oh no he just lives in london uh -huh. so, so he's exposed to a lot of accents so he's like more metropolitan london yeah. english accent do you find it like overcomes you when you're in other places like australia or ireland or Oof. south africa or that I can't do those accents. Like, like the diphthongs? Not, that's not, crazy, like, no. Uh, yeah, those are, <laughs> once in a while I can, like, it's like tuning a radio dial, I'll get it for a second and be like, oh, there's Australian, and then just <laughs> it goes away again. I'm like, damn it, I shouldn't have focused on it too much. But, um, yes, Australian's weird because, um, I don't know, it, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of, 
it's kind of familiar, but it has a, a cadence that's uh, a lot different than you find. It's not a clipped. It, yeah, it's a little clipped. Yeah, clapped. Yeah, it's that. <laughs> and then also New Zealand is really tough because it's all about the E's. The mm -hmm. E sounds are eh. And so like, like uh, or sorry, it's E instead of eh. So Reggie is Ridgy. Ridgy. Yeah. Ridgy. This is, this is my mate, Ridgy. <laughs> and uh, so there's, that's kind of like the main one that, and then there's a cadence difference. Yeah. And, but Australian, like, again, I can, like, for a second, I'll get in there and, and I'll be like, oh, I, I got it. And then it just, dis it just falls apart. I wanted to know too about your French because you grew up speaking French with your mom. Yes. Do you have the same experience in French? Do you switch from different to different accents when you're speaking French? That's a good like question. When you're in Montreal, you like go to bang bang bang. Well, yeah, when I'm <laughs> in Montreal, ouais, je parle comme ça. Les gens ici savent que je parle un petit peu français. Ouais, c'est comme ça, mais Mac. I mean, like, like if I do it that way, it's like wow. it's it's kind of like a rougher. Uh, like when I first heard it, and this is not to diss any of my Montreal friends, but when I first heard Quebecois, mm -hmm. I thought it was someone who knew how to speak French really well, but just couldn't quite get the accent. <laughs> you know, like like yeah. they're like they did their best, but they can speak like like the grammar is right on, like they know French ends, but they just couldn't they didn't quite get there. And and then little did you know that, or little that people don't know that that is actually like an older form of French. Like, so it's, it's actually more French than French in a, in a way. It's the, yeah. I was just in Newfoundland cause I grew up in St. John's Newfoundland oh. and I was li listening to Canadian radio and it was so soothing to hear that Quebecois French because c'est si clair. So yeah. see, so like it's so I can understand it so well, but yeah. it's not as mellifluous as the like the French that I think you speak, right. which is yeah, like yeah. much more fluid it's and beautiful. It's more fluid and like ah oui bonjour ça va faire qu'est-ce qui qu'est-ce qui avec toi aujourd'hui je peux parler quelque chose avec toi eh ben eh ben ici hein on va parler un petit peu eh ben on va parler ici non mais c'est comme you know it's like ouais c'est comme ça c'est vachement différent là which I don't know I like both of them I think they're both great. Yeah. Uh, uh, whatever. I, I love language in general. That's why I I'm just was growing up like listening and absorbing as many accents as as possible. I mean, Montanans a really weird one because there isn't really an accent that I can find. Mm. It's there's nothing about. I don't think. I don't know. It's, even if you'd never been to Montana, you just fly in and listen to people talk. They could be from Wyoming. They could be from Idaho. They could be from North Dakota. It could be from South Dakota. There's no real, I mean, well, South Dakota definitely has that South Dakota kind of thing going on and maybe North Dakota too. But like generally that area is devoid of an accent. There's colloquialisms mm -hmm. and there there are different ways of saying certain words like creek and cr crick and creek, mm -hmm. that type of thing, um, pop and soda. But I don't know. I don't really hear it. I can't. Someone's like, do a Montana accent. I'm like, here's a Montana accent. <laughs> Here it is. This is what it sounds Here like. Here it is. I mean, I pretend like I'm using a Montana accent when I perform comedy in in Montana, but it's usually kind of I kind of talk like this. So it sounds like it could be from like you know maybe Arkansas or something like that, and I just talk about camping supplies and what you need when you go on your trip and what to pack in your pack and 
what things to have just in case and what not to bring and how to stay safe out there and maybe a flint maybe a rope is it kind of it's kind of a cowboy sound oh yeah you need you need a little bit of a flint you need need just a tiny bit of a flint and you know waterproofing you know some waterproof matches you know whatever it is but like (laughs) there's definitely this 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 kind of salt of the earth accent that i do Mm -hmm. that no montana uses but they still get it i i hearing you run through all of these accents in your ear and having seen you perform live quite a bit um i'm starting to understand how you fell in love with jazz as a child and different <clears> rhythms <throat> and different ways to play an instrument and then find like would you say that that kind of honed your like I, it sounds like you started with your ear and then you just like dove into either your body or the instrument and it all coalesced would that be fair to assume yeah yeah for sure i mean because i did get to hear a lot when i was younger and um and then kind of met up with it as i learned music you know how to like oh now i can play that thing that i heard i kind of know why it sounds like that as opposed to just hearing it and rip, rip, and mimicking it but mm. but because i don't know french and i can't wait to listen back to this and see what both of you were saying uh it, not it's, much no oh, okay i don't know i was like oh they could be telling secrets um what what about when you do like gibberish and do you start at gibberish to find the rhythms and then you can actually go from there? Yeah. I mean, that, those are, those are a little bit more, that's definitely like free freestyle um, mm. because it's, there's something about, I don't know. There's something about like, it's the cadence of language and like the way that different languages use and some, you know, like if you're doing, I mean, like, it's weird. I always think that Israelis could learn how to speak Dutch very easily. Mm-hmm. Yo, interesting. Because Dutch have the ch sound. Mm-hmm. And there's the ch, you know, huchatetes. Like, there's that. But then, like, in, in, when I hear Israelis speak, there's like this ch, And I'm like, oh, man, you guys got that. The Dutch yeah. Like, you got it. But so, I mean, mixing, that's, there's a lot of languages. And obviously, like, uh, other um uh, Arabic languages have that as well, and then and then you have like Chinese with all the weird like there's this kind of lilting, weird, bendy vowel stuff that's going on, and uh, you know Germanic languages, and I don't know. It's like when I hear all those languages, I love speaking like a proto language, like a language that that speaks. It's like the mm. like an original language yeah. or an all language, and, and so I try to incorporate all the languages in the ways you know moving through different cont- con- continents. Usually, when I when I do it, so I'm, I go into like Africa, and then I go back into Europe, go through Europe, and then I go through parts of Asia, and then I go through the Middle East, and then I go through the United States, and then and so I love doing that. It's like such a cool, powerful feeling. Yeah, that's so cool. And to your be book so worldly. encapsulates yeah. parts of those, what, like when you go to Cleveland and you're hanging out with your dad's side of the family or when you're like, you know, all of a sudden you're like leaning into the valley girl. It's like your book gives us a little tour of how you were mm. like visiting the different regionalities. And is that a word? Yeah. Regions? I like it. Parts of? Yeah. America. America. <laughs> yep. Yes. Yes. Um, were you going to say something? I mean, I can talk forever. Yeah. So yeah, this edible just kicked in. I feel really nice. <laughs> oh, I had good. half to see how it would feel. I'm gonna oh, have so the other crazy half. That now. you're honest about that to your audience. Oh yeah, it's a must. Okay. Yeah. Honest like, about like, taking half. So, that, that would be so funny if you guys just hid that at all costs. <laughs> that you guys do any drugs at all. <laughs> 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 it's just like, like 
<laughs> Woven, Weed, and Grub. We um, usually start with our hand on the Bible. And <laughs> yeah, totally. really we, actually cut, there. we had a friend on the podcast, our friend Reggie Harris, who <clears> is <throat> Oakland Hyphae, an amazing organization with doing mushroom uh, cultivation and testing oh, wow. in Oakland. And we microdosed on the podcast with him. And like we caught some flack for that. And it was really funny. It was like, why from is anyone who? mad about that? Well, yeah, exactly. You from mean who? from the podcast people? The not from ar- the podcast arbiters? people. but Oh, from fans? Not even from fans, just from some business some folk. Business folks who were like, that's a bad idea. And we were like, what? Oh, that that run this thing or what, that you're part of? Some, you know, uh, associates maybe we, we, we would call oh. them. Oh, okay. Some associated people. And and what why and why do they think that it was bad? I don't know. Because like, they wear a wire. Oh my god. It's <laughs> so strange. That is that is a very strange thing. Have to... you caught and have you caught and have you caught flack for talking openly about your drug use ever? You know, I never have. Wow. I, I, I don't think I I don't think people could really say much to me. Right. In the sense that I've always been pretty open about it. So there's a track record. It's it's not like I'm trying to do something subversive, plus all the drugs that I'm promoting. Generally, I follow it with a mindfulness element to yeah. it. So there's no way to argue against rational drug use, I don't think. I mean, they can try, but I think they just end up giving up. What does rational mean for you? Because for me, that's changed quite a bit. The more I've explored, especially mushrooms and heavy and light doses, like rational is morphed for me as i've like gone on that journey especially this year has it changed for you as you've gotten into like ketamine and mushrooms and Mm. uh, i don't know maybe a chamber or two yeah i mean i don't know i mean i think i think i think it's uh the more that things open up and the more people are available to the idea of psychotropics and psychedelics doing something beneficial um, Mm. and also or just wanting to explore yourself you know those types of things i think that the the i think that i think that increases a rational mindset i you know i i would think as long as there's i don't know to me the thing is like i always say don't use don't don't use drugs or don't do drugs unless you're really good at them and um and what i mean by that is is you should never i don't think that's why i'm not a big alcohol person i, I don't I, I don't ever promote alcohol and i will always like i will always shoot it down because i think it's a piece of shit drug um it's a terrible drug and uh but some people have no problems with it. They can have a glass of wine, you know, for dinner. They can have like a really good beer. And I've got plenty of friends that are brewers and stuff like that. And and I just have that stance for me because it's a too it's too it's too easy of a drug to me. And yeah. I think that there's more exciting stuff. And so, um, but uh, you know, psychotropics are great because it's really kind of hard to party on them necessarily. You you can have some really good experiences on them, but it is a little bit of a commitment depending on the dose. I'm not really an advocate of microdosing, so I so I I I just think like medium to heavy doses are the way to go. But that's just, really? again, that's me. Just because I'm like micro, I tried microdosing and it just made me feel like a little queasy and mm, like right. not, not really that not interesting to me at yeah. all. Um, but uh, but in general, like yeah, most of the things I do, I was just talk about it as a journey. And what are you what are you discovering on it? Like, what is the intent going in? And what's the set and setting? And who are you with? And um, you know, make sure that you know you know the where your source comes from, and you know the know the source and 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 those types of things. But it should be an adventure. It's a it's a it's either something that is helpful in a clinical setting that you work with a 
therapist with and uh, you have like a multimodal approach to solving some issues and things like that and traumas and uh, forms of depression and those types of things. Or um, it can be a, a, a tool of exploration that can be shared in a community of people who like-minded individuals that are interested in that as well. And so I think as long as there's mindfulness there, it kind of self-regulates uh, in, in many ways. Can you talk a little bit about your experience using ketamine? Because I had my first ever therapeutic ketamine experiences this year. And I had done ketamine in a sort of a party setting and had a very crazy time and then found it so incredibly useful. Mm. And it, it plugged into and unlocked a piece of my brain that I've been trying to access with all other kinds of therapy, even all other forms of, um, you know, plant medicine, like much big herb fat doses of mushrooms mm -hmm. or all that sort of stuff. And the, the experience, my very first therapeutic ketamine experience, um, like accessed some pieces that I wasn't even expecting to access. And it was so incredibly helpful. Was that your experience with ketamine as well? Like it reached yeah. some pieces of you that you were, cause I know you talk about robo yeah. in the book and I feel like they're somehow related. They in, are related. Yeah. Yeah. They're both dissociatives. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I mean, it was kind of familiar because of that. You know, mm -hmm. I, I had experienced, um, yeah, dissociatives, uh, in, in when I was younger. So, like, it that was familiar, and it's definitely, I don't know. So, ketamine is like a cleaner version of dexamethorphan. Dexamethorphan is a little dirtier in a, in a way. Like, it's 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 just has like a kind of a shadowy element to it, whereas ketamine is cleaner i mean when i when I, I first got a bunch i got a bag of ketamine a long time ago and it just sat on it for like half a year because i was afraid to take it i didn't know how to take it i didn't know how much i was like body weight i got a scale and like you know measured it out and like okay my body weight's this and there's this amount whatever and um <laughs> and yeah and then eventually i just kind of you know got past that and was like oh this is how much works for me okay great this is i'll do this and then i got a uh, a prescription and so then i was getting lozenges and nasal sprays and so uh you know it's been an interesting journey but i think like i mean to answer your question like yeah it it, it just hit me in a way that i just really like the space i did i did, had a session last night with a friend i hadn't seen in a really long time and, and i wasn't planning on doing it but she kind of brought it up and and I was like, sure, let's let's do it. So we took. Uh, uh, do you know Phil Wolfson? Uh, no. He wrote. He was one of the either the co-author or the author of something called the Ketamine Papers. Mm. Uh, it came out in the I think the eighties or something like that. And it's a it's a paper just on the experience of ketamine, the effects of it, and so forth. And it's um, pretty well regarded. And uh, he um, has influenced some people into a certain formulation of. Uh, ketamine lozenges and so for the first time I, I tried to hit the lozenges because I got a prescription for it mm -hmm. how many do you know how many um, 100 milligrams per uh, per lozenge great um, and I have to say that it was definitely more it was an it was an R variant for sure because it was just body high interesting so, so, so it was like body ketamine high Whoa. which is very interesting I was like wow this isn't the psychoactive hmm. crazy farm that I usually am used to and it was great. And so then I was like, okay, well let's add a couple bumps of just regular powdered K. And, um, and I, and we tried that on top of it and then it kicked in and then we had this simultaneous, more of a body high, but also a psychoactive. And my friend was like, I don't think I've ever been this high. And it wasn't a K hole, but it was close. It was like, you know, it wasn't that far away. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, um, 
and and it was just an amazing feeling because she's like i never been this high and then i thought that she she's kind of a nervous person sometimes so she might freak out but she was like i love i love this feeling it's like k really works for me my in my mind and 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 we just have this conversation that it for me it's a space it's not a it's not a state it's a place so you arrive at this very familiar highly alien um place where everything makes sense everything's interconnected everything makes sense everything's very goofy and everything's not and it's not emotional in general which i really appreciate that i think there's something much more fascinating about being in a non-emotional hyper connected um uh state like that or space like that it i don't know what it does just it just frees my mind and it feels like okay now i can think like how i normally think which is cartoon logic you know and and everything makes sense and you know and then i start stretching and you know working out and um and analyzing my body and saying like oh yeah this part like hurts and i need to work on this or whatever you know it's like you get this very totalitarian if that's a good word uh (laughs) kind of kind of uh relationship to your to your body and your and your mind and and for me it it works that way it's like obviously you know things affect people differently Mm. but I've I've introduced a lot of people to ketamine, and uh, generally the, the results have always been positive. And wow. and uh, I just find it to be a very very th- intriguing, fascinating experience. More than and I've stopped really doing mushrooms, and, and not that I'm like I don't do mushrooms, but I just haven't looked for mushrooms or LSD because ketamine is so much more interesting yeah. to me. Also more efficient. Like you know, you're done in an hour and a half. Yep. Oh, you know that sounds like, real nice. Yeah. It's just like boom, and then it rolls off. And I've 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 had a K session with friends or with a friend, and uh, we do the session. And like hour and twenty minutes later, I'm like, okay, now we have to go to this car thing for Audi or something like that. I'm like, okay, I'm just jump in my car and we drive to it. Nice. It totally felt fine. And so there's something about that that's really cool. Yeah, the the thing that I really found was that it felt sort of cosmic in a way that like you know psychedelics that i love about psychedelics like that interconnectedness and organic but it does it did feel hyper alien to me and my whole body disappeared yeah. and i was just pure consciousness and that was the first experience that i'd ever had not having a body and when i came back to my body i felt safe in my body mm, and that was new wow. too and i was like whoa wow. yeah sensory, All right now. sensory deprivation tank without the tank oh yeah that's, that's another way i describe ketamine yeah for sure that yeah. sounds beautiful it, in, insane it's it's a also i mean i've experienced simultaneous realities overlaid on top of each other like and and aware of both realities simultaneously like like real things people having conversations outside of me whilst having like a crazy hallucinogenic experience inwardly and being able to track both but not switching between them experiencing them simultaneously like a piece of paper folding yes together yes no like, kidding. Yeah. Like I've that's happened on multiple occasions where you get into this like super brain territory where now I'm like hearing things that are very far away and hearing them very clearly. And I'm like hearing a conversation that's over here, but I'm also having a conversation or some experiential experiential conversation with someone in front of me at the same time. And it's that stuff is so intriguing to me. I'm wonder what is happening when that's when that's happening. Cause it's not imaginary. Because I can, I've told people back what I heard them talking about, and they're like, "How did you even know we were that we were talking about that?" And I knew all wow. the details. Do you think something like that is versions of you kind of flinting between, f- flirting between realities, or do you think that like 
you're using 12% of your brain in that moment. Like, can you chalk it up to some kind of conclusion? Yeah, it's it's something like that. I mean, that's why I would love to like, if you could wear an EEG or, you know, do an fMRI, Mm -hmm. somehow be able to be able to do some kind of experiments about that because it's either heightened awareness and just like faster processing like you can process more data that's always around us but we have to kind of be selective about that um or it's doing something it's it's temporarily amplifying all of our abilities uh in some way that it it starts to cross over the way that we normally experience reality yeah i I don't know and you're making me wonder if that's part of you being very good at doing it because I feel well, yeah. like they're the people who aren't good at doing it yes. and they have that experience and then they come back and they're fractured in some way. Yes, <laughs> sure. There are people that can be traumatized by that. They're like, oh, I never want to do that again, you know, yeah. or whatever. I, and and I, 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 I get it. And I would never would want to, you know, push people. But I, you know, it's like, I think that there are certain people that I can tell. I just know. Like, they're going to be good at it. They're just going to be good at it because mm-hmm. I can tell by the way that they think, the way that they, as long as they don't have a lot, a lot of fear. You can have a little bit of fear, but if someone's very, very fearful, they're not a really good, they're not a good candidate mm-hmm. unless they they have to make the decision on their own and they have to start very lightly and they work into it. But fear is like the worst uh, enemy. The good thing about ketamine is it when it does hit and it's the right dose, it can remove a, a lot of that fear. Um, and so I, so my friend that I actually was with last night, she was notorious for having what I call thought loops. And I always feel like, am I gaslighting her? Because I'm not, ga- I, I'm not, it's just an observation. But every time I'm, cause she would bring it up, she'd be like, yeah, you know, when you say that I have those, those thought loops, I'm like, oh, did I, as I, I'm just like, yeah, those thought loops, huh? Huh? About those thought loops. Hey, I'm like appearing under a sink. Oh, what is the thought loop? You're not able to get the thing done. Um, but, but, but there is like this, she was just very hesitant when she would make decisions to, it's like an inchworm, you know, arriving at a decision that she already knew the answer to, but I would see her like start, stop, start, stop, that type of thing. And I saw firsthand the first time she did ketamine with me, she was finally like, okay, I'm ready to do this. Let's try, give it a try. Gave her a good dose and, uh, sat on the, the couch and I saw her, I saw in real time her being like, well, I don't, I'm not sure I, well, I. I guess what I'm feeling is, I don't know, it's interesting, you know, the way I'm feeling right now is just, uh, it feels like I'm able to relax a little bit and, you know, I'm I'm having a really good time and, uh, uh, oh, do you need some water? Like, hey, do you mind getting me some water? I'm like, oh, and then I waited a long time and then I commented on it and I said, you're not doing those start stops right now. And she's like, oh my God, I'm not. And Mm -hmm. and that was very cool to see that uh, because it's really an awareness. I think like anything ketamine gives you an awareness. It's an awareness tool. Now all these drugs are awareness tools. Meditation is an awareness tool. Skydiving is an awareness tool. But like everything in life is 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 an opportunity for gaining awareness. But I think ketamine is great because it does remove us from that emotional lizard brain. Oh yeah. Um, part of it, and not to say that you might not feel anxiety, because if you're going into a K-hole, especially, there might be a lot of anxiety, because you're like, oh, I'm gonna die, I'm losing my consciousness, my consciousness is gonna go, I'm, I'm. oh, okay, mm-hmm. whoa, what is this, you yeah. know, that type of a thing, and then you're in this zone, you know, which happens with all kinds of DMT, you know, you name it, there are different versions of that, and psychedelics, heroic doses, leading to ego death, and so forth, but K has got like, this kind of sometimes can feel really dark and gray. Like mm-hmm. there's just this gray wall eating away at the frontiers of your consciousness. You know, um, it sounds important in a weird way. If you're gonna, if you're yeah. gonna grow, yes. If you're gonna shake off the 
wh- whatever you're wh- whatever you're carrying it around. You yeah. Know? yeah, 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 yeah. I've very specifically yeah. had a moment where I was looking at something that just bothers me all the time in my life that happened to me truly 20 years ago. And I was in that sort of weird cosmic alien state and something in me just said, you don't have to look at it. And I just looked in a different direction. And so the thing was still playing on loop. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always going to play. That's yeah, yeah, just yeah. a thing that happened to me that is on a loop in my brain. But all of a sudden I wasn't looking at it anymore. Ugh. And I was looking at a whole new landscape and yeah, just what? massive. I'd never been able to do that with like 15 years of talk therapy. It's amazing. My it my th- my therapist, my doctor, who prescribes me. They they would brag between each other. I was at this the uh, psychedelic conference, the Maps conference last yeah. one, and her and my my doctor and and a couple other of her friends were like bragging to one another about how like yeah. <laughs> I cured my clients' uh, fear of blah 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 in two sessions with ketamine, and I'm like, oh yeah, well I sur- I, I I cured my. Uh, uh, whatever my my drug resistant depression, you know, client of like four years who'd been doing this, and you know, in two in in one session or something like that, and um, you know, in a in a in a good way, not in a like like we're doctors and we're like gods and type of thing, but just like in their true fascination with the experiences that they have treating their 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 I guess clients, their patients, and so um, I, you know, there's something there's something there, there's something where it just kind of you just kind of. I think it's, and it's how I am in general, like in improvisation, like I don't believe that there's, there's a rapid solution to most problems. Like anytime people are like, it's complicated. We're not going to be able to figure it out. I just don't believe anybody. Like, wow. You know, I, I and they're like, it's complicated. And because if it is that complicated, well then let's not fucking do it. Cause I'm not going to spend a bunch, I'm not going to waste a bunch of time, you know, hanging out with a bunch of people that are going to be pessimistic about a solution. And so I'd rather just not do it and do something else. And so I think Kay has that immediacy that I enjoy, which Mm -hmm. is like, it's impossible. You can't do that. And it's like, (laughs) but I I just, I'm holding it. It's right here. Like, what does everybody do? Uh, Yeah. But, uh, well, but we're, we, we identify through process and difficulty and it's like, yeah, well, I don't, I don't like, (laughs) it's a waste of time, but I mean, no judgment, but, 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 but but I not, you don't have time for it. Yeah. Yeah. You you don't have time for it. Would you like to know how I did it? No, no. We want to, you want to dwell in the, huh? You're going to want to dwell in it. Stupid. Uh, But, but maybe, but that's kind of the interesting thing when you're talking about like seeing a problem, you know, the loop. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you remember the the movie Labyrinth? Oh, of course. I loved it so much. One of, one of my favorite scenes was that that crazy drill that was coming down the tunnel, and when they like stepped into the whatever, like like the cutout in the wall or whatever in the tunnel, and then it passes by them, and it's just a bunch of fucking muppets, like <laughs> like all working cranks and stuff, going ah, what the hell, ah, it's not good enough. You got to go faster, or whatever. <laughs> and I was like, that's what problems are like in K. It's like you see the drill and the whole in your whole life is you're oppressed by this drill coming down this 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 get this uh shaft and and that's what terrifies you and it's the thing that you don't go near or it's the thing that gets triggered when something happens or it's the thing that I, I have to learn how to live with this and all that stuff. And oftentimes in K, at least in my experience, it's it, it suddenly you get a different angle on that thing and you're like, Oh, that's all it is. It's just it's not that at all. In fact, everything is multiple things simultaneously mm. and i if i can remember that about my problems then i that i know that it is possible to shift into a different perspective that that dismantles the problem or releases the loop into a spiral having know? not done it yet but being vastly interested in it and also having seen how helpful it's been to you mary jane mm-hmm. um that must be the non-emotional part that's so important and helpful yes because then you're able to like see a problem 
and come at it from a get it get out of the way of it kind yes. of a thing instead of holding it with some kind of emotional reverence. Yeah, agreed 100% because I've I've had incredibly beautiful moments on mushrooms. I've had incredibly beautiful moments um, you know, you're talking about Michael McQuilkin. I just remember like going out in the park with some of my friends and like picking mushrooms and eating them right out of the ground and like having incredible trips and amazing. I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. LSD had some insane, heavy, heavy trips, like cool insight. But it's like, it's, it's like, those are kind of like vacations, you know, that span the globe That's and, hilarious. and you're like, wow, this is cool. Oh, wow. You're crazy. It's, it's more, it's a longer time frame and a topography that you're kind of having an adventure on and ketamine is kind of like being q in star trek next generation yeah. it's like you're just everything is quantum now yeah so so whatever idea or experience you want to experience it just instantly appears and it may only last for a microsecond and then it turns and it warps. It's like, it's it's all fractals. It's a fractal existence. And so that's when generally like my mother's death or something like that. And I'm thinking about it and I'm on like a really, I'm really high. I might get anxiety on the high going like, oh, I shouldn't be, am I, am I doing a disservice to my mother by like being high and like thinking about her or whatever. And then, and then that quickly gets eaten away. And it just says, this is the reality you're experiencing right now. Like there's no room for your judgment about it. And and that is an incredibly powerful tool. Yeah. Um, that that like I true disassociation. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's so interesting. I'm sorry to interrupt. Can like, you say that? I'm no, no. Away by it. No. 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 Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm glad. Please interrupt. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting to hear you say that about you know, thinking about your mom and about the the sort of nature of grief and um, how. Th that was one of the things that I felt a connection with the ketamine. My sister died two years ago, and um, it was such a. Uh, it, it helped me let go of the weird shame that I had around like having missed doing anything or being better or being there in a way that I, my failures or whatever it was like, it's, it's been such a big processing tool for that too. Mm. Yeah, man. It's just crazy what we associate ourselves to. And oftentimes yeah. there are things about ourselves that we're connecting to an, an outside problem. Uh, you know, like if my, you know, my mom passed away and I'm like, oh, I could have been there earlier i could have done this i could have done this and i and if i would have known and if i would have listened and instead now i had to do that gig and why'd you do you know and they would i mean i know personally my mom would be like no you need to do what you need to do was i lonely at times yes did i miss your father yes were you, did i wish you were home always but at the same time i know you're out living life and that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted you to come into this life is to know that you're doing good out there, you know? Mm. And so, so I, so it kind of puts that in balance, not as a, a salve or like a rationalization to make you feel good, but just an actual, Oh, I'm feeling what this feels like when I let it, when I let go for real, not like a temporary thing. Mm. And I, and I think that in that K state, I've kind of finished the curing of, you know, like an art project, you know, like in, in many cases, because I'm like, oh, all of my fears about this, they're, they're only fears and fear is an energy um, and fear can go away. And then it's just, it's gone. And, and you're like, oh, that's what it feels like to not have fear about this. Interesting. Mm. And you feeling that, I swear, it's like definitely telling your brain, it's like, now you know that possibility. So when you come out of it, you're like, you know that possibility. 
and it starts to take, it might start to take hold. I'm not saying that it will absolutely, but for me, it definitely did. And I have a re- uh, much, much, uh, a highly reduced version of some of the, the anxieties that I have because I can kind of go back into that space a little bit. I wonder if you would have been able to write this book now or that you've gone through that whole process. Like, was this a part of that process for you to let go? Or were you like, I'm through this and now I feel like I'd like to put this down on paper and let it live forever? Mm. No, I think I think the book was more like it was really an excuse to have the chance to maybe make a series or a film about my my coming of age years Cool. and the coming of age years. I, I just I wanted to have other people experience what it felt like for me to be in that time period in that place. And so uh, that was kind of that was the the impetus then doing it the in in doing it the whole process of doing it was definitely a mix of my i was taking care of my mom and so i was you know going back every month to sit, to hang with my mom and sometimes i'd have zoom sessions with my ghostwriter from afar you know one time the ghostwriter's father speaks french he's half lebanese and um so his father called and spoke french and like had a conversation with my mom to get more information about her story oh, for wow. the book so there was like the the book was kind of like a processing thing along the way and that and that's even me talking to other friends you know and and to talking to my friends in montana and like corroborating stories and going hey do you remember that thing and do you remember the the thing it's like yeah yeah yeah. oh no it wasn't a blue car it was a red car oh my god yeah that was wandy's that was wandy's fiesta oh shit yeah and i've got a picture it's like oh yeah there's that picture yeah there's that thing i was talking about you know so there's a lot of that remembering and um and i wanted to capture that and weirdly enough like robitussin was a huge part of it it's it was a dissociative and we had insane adventures on it and insane dark experiences light experiences but it really, really pulled us together. And not as like, you know, drugs aren't everything. It's like, I always, I try to, I try to tell, tell people like, and I get kind of, kind of want to, I want to release this, this justification or this clarification every time, because hopefully people just trust that why I'm talking about drugs is not, it's not an escapism. It's a tool for understanding. It's a, it's to have a space within yourself or within a community that is a, a place reserved for your, for yourselves. And obviously again, what the qualifications are, or the equivocation, I should say, like I, you, you do through meditation and do yoga and like go swimming every day. Totally, totally true. However, for us, we were in wheat fields. Yeah. Um, and there was alcohol, which I wasn't really that into. And my friends, they drank, but no one was really a, a heavy drinker that I that I remember. Everyone loved weed. Everyone loved Robo. Uh, we were huffing Freon at one time, which is basically the same as nitrous. Mm. So heavier than air gas. So, um, you know, we had those things. We had weed. And then once in a while we'd get acid that would come through there. But drugs were the things that we looked forward to, psychedelics, that mm. would that that gave us uh, a sense of adventure to be in a space of our own, uh, in our own culture. And so I think that that happens in multiple cultures around tribal cultures all, all around the planet for hundreds of thousands of years that we've been around on the planet. So for me, I felt lucky that I had a modern, whatever, like pharmaceutical over the counter pharmaceutical version of like our tribal experience. But talk to any of my friends today and they're incredible human beings. Like they're incredible. And, and they're all like rough hand working class contractors and carpenters and 
engravers and, you know, like, uh, you know, bicycle repair technicians teaching kids. Like they're just very like, I'm salt of the earth. I'm doing my stuff. And you talk to them and they're just like so incredibly enlightened. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, so I don't know, something really exciting about all of that, revisiting that and having that churn back up while I was doing the book was insane. Yeah. And in the book, you include so many photos and we get to see pictures of you and your friends and your family. And it's so awesome. And also to read about like how that particular time, you know, when I was saying like so much of what what you experienced was what I recognized growing up as a latchkey kid in Newfoundland yeah. around the punk scene yeah. when I would come home and my babysitters were Three's Company and Carol Burnett. Yep. And then I would go down to the games <clears throat> arcade and my friends were listening to, and you talk about Fugazi and like Minor Threat and all of that. And I was like, that's that was in Newfoundland, this sort of like weird, far flung, remote Atlantic rock, windswept rock at the same time was happening with the same elements, a similar sort of forging. And I just thought that was so, like, to, to, we, we were totally different and there was nothing shared about our experiences. And yet so much of it I recognized. And I was like, and those musicians and artists in Newfoundland who stayed in Newfoundland are just like the most incredible people. And that yeah. survivor mentality. Yeah, the, totally. Yeah, that's totally what it is. I swear that's, that, that is kind of what it is. Because you're like, I don't know, none of our friends, this is the insane thing, maybe I say it in the book, but none of our, we should have died. Mm. Like there are several occasions where we should have died. That, sh there's that story in the book. I won't ruin the ending, but you're driving and robo tripping. Oh and yes, those popular women, those popular girls cruised by. Oh yes, yeah. And yeah. I didn't know how that story was going to end. Yeah, yeah. I know it sounded all bad. It was all bad. <laughs> but everything weirdly, I mean, we got really lucky, but just things worked out for us, and that's why I would never recommend you know any <laughs> anybody do what we did. We were a product of the time, um, but we should have died. But we. We didn't. We we all survived, yeah. and and we all, you know, kept in touch with each other, and and um and we always have those memories, and it's just insane to me. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Crazy times. You made it out, and then you end. So you ended up in Seattle, and that's where your music career, like you went from like full force into jazz, and you went to. I didn't know you went, went to Cornish. Yeah, yeah, I went to Cornish. Amazing. And you then, didn't know that. I didn't know that. The first okay. time I ever saw you perform, you were with MockTube at some underground warehouse party in the Soto District at like two in the morning. Oh. And it was right before you moved to New York. It was probably like 2002. Oh, oh okay. Crazy. 2001 or 2002. Right, right, right. right. That might have been um, the monkey loft. Yeah, yeah. Maybe so. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Moved to Seattle because, yeah, I was going to go to New York. I don't think I was ultimately into going to New York, even though I loved New York, the, the idea of New York and Seattle, you know, just had this cool music scene that was going on. And I was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go to Seattle. Well, and we do get that story about you going to New York to audition for, uh, was it yeah. Am AMDA? AMDA, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. What a different world we would live in if you had gone to AMDA. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I didn't because Seattle was like, it, again, it's another survivor mentality place especially when i went there when i first got there there's a lot of depression in seattle mm. people deal with depression there it's very similar to i mean sister city is bristol i think oh yeah yeah so very similar and that's why like you know bristol why you get such incredible music out of bristol you know you got like portis head and tricky and um is uh, bristol not an american in the city? uk it's, it's on UK. the okay. south UK. coast yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. okay yeah, yeah yeah so like uh uh, massive attack came from that area. Oh, poor uh, said massive attack. All right, I'm with it. Yeah, now. great. <laughs> it's like back with the massive. Yeah, <laughs> bro, you massive. geolocated tricky. massive. Yeah. Now you're massive. <laughs> Boom, done. It's a tricky situation. So, uh, but there is this kind of like depress depressive. 
survivor mentality that's in Seattle, especially when I got there, because it was so much smaller feeling at the time. Mm. It was just a simpler city when I moved there. And uh, all the people that I met who were from there were just like, you know, they just went about their daily life. You know, there, I don't know. It was just a very kind of like a Seattle that was kind of it, you know, like, 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 and there's so much incredible beauty in Seattle. And I think that the indoor culture created a certain uh, ability for artists to go very inward and create things that people hadn't heard before. Cause it's the thing, cause similar to drugs, it's like music is a place you can create spaces and feelings um, with just a chord or a mm -hmm. band playing together, the empowering feeling of playing with other musicians and like it all coming together and it's sounding great is like, teleportation to the next level if i only had one drug left to do it's like that's it music you know music is the one but um so yeah getting into music uh there was you know a natural thing for me and i wanted to be a part of uh culture you know the people in my school at the time at the art institute of seattle when i first went to school there and had my first band and started playing out or i mean my second band and started playing out and um and then making the decision to go to Cornish because I wanted to develop my ear uh, for improvisation, and then meeting insane musicians like musicians that are top of their top of their field, and you know Bill Frizzell, uh, who I was a huge fan of. Um, he's an incredible uh, virtuosic avant-garde uh, progressive jazz player. Um, like uh, I guess I'm trying to think of the most famous. Well, like Pat Metheny, if you've ever heard of Pat Metheny. Mm -hmm. So. Pat Metheny, but Metheny was like kind of global scale world music, avant-garde jazz, whereas Frizzell was like a little darker and more underground. Um, kind of like he's always had a, uh, oh, what's his name from, uh, oh, Robert Smith. He's kind of like got like from a Robert care? Smith vibe to, to uh -huh. him. So he's like a Robert Smith of guitar playing, kind of. Okay. Uh, anyways, saw him in the airport the other day and I told him I had a book and I gave him my copy of the book. And I have a picture with him. I haven't, I haven't posted it yet, but like, it was like this full circle thing. But, wow. but so when I went to Cornish, we, Bill Frizzell would play and you're like, holy shit, Bill, Bill Frizzell plays with Joey Barron, you know, uh, Brigham Krause, which was like, he was like the legend, saxophone legend at the school at that time would go to New York and play at the knitting factory with, in its original location with Bill Frizzell trio and, and wow. or, or Mark Rebo, these like heavy, heavy musicians, like, like McLaughlin level Shakti, whatever the highest versions of music you've heard fusion from the seventies. Oh, it's four twenty. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, from the seventies and eighties, like these were next, next level generations of this music. And so being involved in that, the enlightenment factor of music and knowing that, Oh, I can hang with these people. Mm -hmm. I can, cause I remember the first, and I think it might be in the book, but when I, Jeff Harper, the, a double bass player who went to Cornish, uh, there was like a, 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 a truly illegal, I guess, speakeasy, uh, in, in Seattle and a bus, old bus, bus depot only lasted for about four or five months. It was created by this guy, Justin Desmangles. And, uh, he was like a, a jazz, uh, savant knew everything about jazz. His father was a jazz musician and he was a DJ. So he would DJ in the back, this dark area. Cause they had to 
rig in the electrical because they had to like activate the like run a cord out the window. Yeah, exactly that type of thing. So the all the electrical for the whole place was just like rigged, and so and there was actually a sliding thing for the door. So when you knocked on it, it, like someone and you'd have to say the the password or whatever, and be like, "All right, man." You know, you come in and there's like people coloring like with huge pieces of butcher paper over all the the tables where it's kind of like a little cafe area and then in the corner there was the musicians would set up and they would play music and so we would i'd sit in on all these jam sessions and i remember uh avon kang saying like do you want to play my violin and avon now i think is like the head of some department in one of the music schools here in California, uh, like oh, USC wow. or Caltech, it might be Caltech, but he's like a badass. He was always a badass, but he's a violist and, um, and violinist and also plays air who, and he's just amazing, brilliant, genius composer. And he was a legend in the school. And I remember him going like, Hey, do you want to play my, uh, I think it was, no, my violin. He had a violin at the time. So you want to play violin? So sure. I played a little bit of violin, nothing crazy at all, but I was just jamming or whatever. And I think Jeff was just watching me the whole time mm-hmm. from his perch. He was classic, like six foot four and also plays double bass. Um, <laughs> it's like, you are your instrument, but he, Yo. he, uh, he just looked at me and he goes, uh, you're one of those. And I knew that I was in like, that was, that's, that's all it took. I was like, Oh shit. Yeah. These guys, they accepted me, you know, and my, and my friend, Tim Young, who I hired, um, to be on the late, late show band, you know, Tim, Tim was like one of those gods from my school that I was completely in awe of because he could do anything with a guitar. There was not, there's nothing that this guy did not understand. And, and, and we had at that time that I went to Cornish, that was the class ahead of me. That was all those guys. So you had like, um, oh, I'm trying to think, uh, Jay Clayton was a teacher there and she's mm-hmm. like a genius vocalist that I, that I got to, um, train under, uh, Beth Winters, who was another like badass kind of more traditional jazz singer, had great, great vocal techniques, um, stuff like that to teach us. That was great. But I was just surrounded by such great musicianship, like of my fellow students and of the faculty that, that like supercharged my existence in Seattle. So amazing. And you did so much as a musician in Seattle and like you had, we were there for like 12 years? 12 years. Yeah? Yeah, we have got the <laughs> top cover. Dog. Oh, top dog. Seattle Weekly. You were on the cover of Seattle top Weekly. Dog. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. I mean, you dominated the city with your music. It was, I mean, dominated the city. That well, sounds yeah, like dominated. aggressive. It is you mine. <laughs> yeah, you won the city, man. Yeah. Very aggressive. All your Seattle is mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, Bainbridge, I'm coming for you yeah, next. Watch out, Orcus. Uh, <laughs> you too could be. I mean, would be. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was like, you know, the, I think what, what, what ended up happening and why we, myself and a bunch of musicians kind of infiltrated the the scene there is because the grunge bubble imploded. Yeah. You know, that, that, that it was huge. It like was insane. And then Kurt shot himself in the head and that fucking ended it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. I mean, groups still continued on and were insanely amazing and incredibly powerful and very popular, of course, but the, the fervor and the excitement for who's next out of Seattle, none of the labels and all of their satellite setups, cause they just instantly made offices inside of the city. They couldn't find anybody else. There would, there just wasn't. And because they oversaturated, so it got like a oh, way oversaturated by all these people, like, you know, gold, gold rush vibes. Sure. And then, it got oversaturated. There wasn't enough room. The legacy bands were already kicking ass, but there was no room. And then the the labels weren't getting the yields that they wanted. So they pulled out 
And then they just kind of left Seattle empty in many ways. And so, and when that happened, we took advantage of the vacuum and we replaced it with improvisational music, but not in like the jam band way, but in a more of a kind of a structured improvisational setting and, and also performance art and sketch, sketch comedy. And so there was a lot of room to fill the city back up with some stuff. And so that's what we did. Wow. Did you find a crossover between the people who were into grunge and the people who would come check you out? Or did you build a whole new audience of people who wanted to come see something completely different? I think like most of the music stuff that I did was mo mostly like jam bandy kind of oriented mindset. Yeah. Um, they, they come to all the nights and I mean, and there was definitely like it tied into the black community, hip hop community. We worked a lot with um, just Siri, which was a label uh, at the time that uh, had a lot of hip hop artists on them. And there were some local legends and they were connected to other local legends like uh, Dan, the automator and people like that. And so oh, there, there was some cool, there was some cool stuff that would pervade through there. Or Erica Badu would come through and like some of her musicians would jam with us at night, you know? So there was a little bit of a Philadelphia vibe scene that was huh. happening in Philadelphia mid nineties with the Neo, um, Neo soul movement, like with, um, you know, Erica Badu, um, well, she wasn't from Philly, but she's from Dallas, but, but like, uh, who am I thinking of Jill Scott, mm. um, the roots, um, there's a ton of people I'm going to forget, but there was like this scene that was there. And then you had like trip hop and, uh, these associated black music forms that were in floor and that were informed by, uh, electronic, the pervasiveness of electronic music. And then a new round of music labels hoping that they strike strike gold with something called electronica. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of money still yeah. and people were experimenting, but you were getting these kind of grassroots more like just great musicianship, soulful hip hop laid back grooves. And, um, and so some of our nights, a lot of our nights were, were that it was just, that was the feel. So we had a crossover. It was kind of like, at, I think at its height, you had a good crossover from the hip hop community, the jam band community. Everybody was there. Um, breakers were there. Um, you know, contemporary That's dancers so were there. Um, cause I was friends with the contemporary dance scene at the time. So my whole goal was to bring as many badass people together on functions. And that's why I still like value being, I have to like a hardcore band. I, it's a huge honor for me to have a hardcore band appreciate me. Mm -hmm. Like if they're like, I love what you do, man, that was fucking sick. If I, if I'm like, if I hear that from them, I'm like, oh, okay, good. Because that's, those are the hardest people because their bullshit detectors are really, really sensitive. Yeah. Like if Slipknot <laughs> was like, yo, that was awesome <laughs> oh yeah yeah or even better if Mashugo. oh there it was is just sure. like yes we like your grooves you know whatever <laughs> i'd just be like oh what you know um but you know because i i think i want to i want to i just want to have access to the widest range of human beings possible yeah it's interesting because you started it sounds like creating your own audience and being in the fringes of seattle music but with the most talented people of that area and then in new york finding crawl and that bobby tisdale show that you write mm -hmm. about in the book and how all of those fringe crazy talented mm -hmm. people and then all of you went mainstream yeah also in some yeah. way which is fucking crazy because that's not how we're told it goes you know no no it's not it's like i i don't know how i did it but i just happened to be at the right place right time for so many things and i think 
and because because I got there when it was small and then it expanded. So if you're if you're there when it's small when it's tiny, it's it comes it's a very sincere place. You know, you know it's special and you're addicted to the community and you're there for all the events as there's not that many. Yeah. And so you're there for each other and you're getting to know each other and they're starting to get excited by this person that they saw on stage that got excited by this person that's on stage. And then, you know, David Cross came through and did a set and did, did 10 minutes on this. It was insane. Did you see that? Oh my God, there was, oh great. Yeah, Sarah Silverman came through. Like what, Sarah Silverman was there? Yeah, she didn't go up, but she was hanging out in the audience. Oh my God, do you think she saw me? You know, like those like little tiny clubhouse experiences. Yeah. And then watching it just, bloom and blossom and then the same thing when the industry's coming in and going eh, we'll give you money for viral videos <laughs> can you make some viral videos for us like oh, we'll try tbs sure i i remember <laughs> like those days of the story pirates which is like an yeah. amazing collective in, right. and you were playing with them and yeah. i would come and see you guys and our friend chris ferry was one of the story pirates right. and kristen shaw and kristen shaw i was mm -hmm. gonna say All kristen right. shaw and i'm like of course now you it's it's so amazing to think back to that time and to the fact that like w you know i was in edinburgh in 2006 doing a show oh, and you were um oh yeah sparkle or still and uh like that that particular summer of 2006 in edinburgh was uh i think about so much because it was such a cool time to just fully be an actor at that, that incredible festival with some of my favorite people, like Fairy Chris Mister. Totally. Of Chris course. Fairy, who's oh, so fantastic. And then you you were there and I could come see your show for free and I had no money. <laughs> yeah. So I just came to see your show all the time. <laughs> I was right. there, you know, however you were doing it 28 nights in a row or whatever. Yeah. And I was and then, you know, like Michael McQuilkham was like, Do you want to make a dumb video about blowjobs? And we were like, sure, yeah. like let's climb Arthur's seat and do some molly and then make a video about blowjob whatever it was yeah, it's yeah, just like a very yeah. fond sort of like yeah that before before it before it got big time yeah it was my memory of that watching all of you and and being a part of it in a way oh 100 percent. you know yeah i mean it, you know that's that's the feeling that has to be there it has to be kind of this community like we've got this extra time so let's just fucking do shit yeah mm -hmm. you know oh god an idea yeah come on come over uh, can you do it tonight yeah i'll come over in a couple hours you know and and that immediacy of like and the willingness to create with one another whereas now it's much harder you know with with those friends that i came up with you know mm -hmm. that we were just talking about or like kumail nanjiani or whatever it's like i can definitely i can definitely get them for something probably depending on what it is <laughs> um right. uh i could uh, but it's just, it's going to take time and yeah. they've got families, they've got whatever, and they've got these crazy schedules. So generally I tend to stay, I hang out with most of like younger artists because we can still do that. Just make stuff. Make yeah. Stuff. Just make stuff. And yeah. so I end up hanging out with them because also the next generation. So it's like nice to hang with them and like get their vibes and where they're coming from and what are the challenges that they have in their lives. And, um, and I think it's energy, intergenerational, uh, community friendship is like very, very important, especially in comedy and so forth. Mm -hmm. so people need to know that there's people that are ahead of them, or at least, you know, in exposure experience that are, that are looking out for them and, and, and care for them. That's yeah. Cool. Yep. Yo, that makes me want to talk about technology a bit because yeah. like as a comedian who is constantly told you got to do more reels, you got to put <laughs> things out there, you got to make things with friends, but then I ask friends to make things and they're like, "Yeah, but if it's not perfect, we can't put it out because oh, it's, yeah. you know, th there can be up to 8.7 billion eyeballs on 
your yes. thing or whatever we're at sure. population yeah. wise. But at the same time, we're in this incredible time where you can make anything and robots can even help you make them. And so True. um like how how would you as a 20 year old approach right now? Would you just make shit and put it out or how would it go? <sighs> I mean, I think that that I think that that's what would be the game plan. It's like just make that that doesn't change, you know. It just means yeah. that you have more options, you know. Which sometimes can be good, sometimes not not so good too. <laughs> but but um, I think that that would be the the game plan. Is like just make as much stuff as you can, post as much stuff as you can, but don't get caught up in the perfection of it. Um, and don't, or the strategy of how and where, like, unless you have a natural savvy, you know, like some people are just, they hook into, I know how to leverage this yeah. and they just know that. And that's running in the background that has nothing to do with their creative process. And that's a really lucky ability to have that. Um, or there are people who are innovating before people think of other things that, yeah. that they're about to do, but it just came to them naturally. Um, that's one thing, but I think sometimes people can get overly concerned about, oh, is this the right time to post it? Is this, uh, how will this boost my algorithm? Blah, 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 that kind of thing. Like that, that stuff sucks. Like you don't need that shit. Just like the most important thing is to make what you want to make and release it. And don't worry about it being too perfect because I was trying to remind people, you have hundreds more things to do. You're going to be making so many more pieces of art. And this is just one along the way. And so just get it out and mm. continue forward and just keep moving on but you'll have you'll uh, amass a track record of what you think is funny and what's dumb and what's whatever and that's that's the that's where it's fun so people like to f experience people having fun yes you know? so much Fuck mike yes. has a viral real i don't know five million views or something where you're yeah. just enjoying a rock in alaska oh it's it? a perfect rock like, reggie what a great rock it's an incredible that's rock it. perfectly <laughs> smooth circular oh. nice to the touch yeah, it was on an Alaskan beach. And right, it just, right, weight, right, so size. Such nice heft. Yeah, absolutely. Just yeah. with the Alaskan sun. You know? mm. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. That's, so that, nice. I mean, that People is like absolutely <laughs> proof. That is one hundred percent proof. I mean, that that translates from the screen, from your your description of it, and like how it looks, and your angle on it, like, and your thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, we we're we're triggered by that. We and we 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 enjoy simplicity there's something comforting and something simple when you see people being stupid and having a good time together you recognize that that's something that makes you feel good and mm. and i think like if you plan stuff a little bit too much it can come off as it's good but it's kind of clever it's it's a little disingenuous right a little yeah, yeah. a little and authenticity translates always yes yes yeah. there's no substitute for uh sincerity that's, but you but yeah. you but you're excited <clears throat> about robots <laughs> you're one of the only people that makes me not terrified about ai true straight up you are the only one i think that i can listen to talk about ai and not feel like the cold coil of fear oh. in my belly yeah I just think about how how crazy it all looks and seems yeah that it can help us that it's good for us that we're all going to be okay uh -huh. that we can use ai to curate our lives in a helpful way yeah 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 <laughs> i mean Yes. I mean, I tend to be positive on, I've always had a pretty positive relationship with technology. So this is another technology. So that continues that trend. Um, <laughs> and also I don't believe people when they're fearful. Yeah. Uh, I tend to, so I'm a little antithetical, antithetical that way. I'm, I'm not like in, in, I, I think, I think I'm relatively rational about it. I'm not, I'm not just being anti to be anti, 
um that's definitely the first thing but uh i'm just someone's like yeah but it could totally ruin and just you know the ai agi could ruin our lives and i'm i'm like either way whether it's an amazing tool or whether it fucks up everything those are both good that's fucking interesting those are both good outcomes right we ain't in a great spot right now No, like so like where else are we going are we going to add more of this whatever this is going on right now Mm -hmm. we can do more of that and just keep going in that direction like because i don't see people getting happier necessarily i don't see i don't i don't see it so something has to change. Yeah, it does feel like we're treading, but we're getting tired of treading water a bit. Totally. You ever yeah. Yeah, see it? Definitely. We're <laughs> starting a, to drown. What a beautiful. Um, <laughs> but, but, but that's nothing. Like, like, you yeah. know, going back to ketamine, those are types of realizations where you're like, oh, it doesn't really ultimately matter because it's like something will resolve. Things do change and things get, we absorb those changes and we resolve them. And because that's what human beings are best at, or, or I should say the a natural state of human beings are problem solvers. Mm-hmm. Like we love solving problems and we love uh, collaboratively solve, solving problems when we're rationally based. Um, yeah. we, we can, we can do so much and we can reprioritize our dislikes for people very, very quickly in order to solve a problem collectively. And I think uh, AI is a tool that can help. Here's the thing that I think it's like you have all these assholes with all the power. And they're they're bona fide dicks. <laughs> like they don't give a fuck about people. They just they're addicted to more power, more power. And it's because of they hijacked the whole capitalistic mechanism. It's all hijacked. So that's not changing because that's what they like, that's what they want. However, if we have access to super brain versions of ourselves that we personally train as naturalistically as hanging out with a friend and getting to know them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start, and we're able to uh, solve our own problems. We start so, or solving some of the problems that we normally would want a, a system to arrive at uh, or, or to solve. Then you're looking at a power being taken away from these individuals when it comes to energy, housing, food, yeah. AI can help solve that community to community, specifically for each community and each individual. So it's there's a possibility there's a possible future of uh what I like to call collective individualism. And huh. uh it'll be decentralized, but there'll still be large systems to organize whatever is is necessary for a while, but it'll be offloaded quite a bit and that will create some form of satisfaction, which will reduce anxiety a little bit. And people may come to a more rational mind state and realize that they can put their energy into other things, um, that are more, uh, self evolving and and beneficial for the community around them. Would you truly see that like cities kind of dissolving into more tribal groups? Again, of people who are all in communal the same living, age. yeah, communal like living. I think it's possible. That could be interesting. I think it's possible. I mean, you know, United States, or at least in the United States, maybe even Canada. Uh, there's definitely, well, especially the United States. There's this selfish. We're kind of like selfish. We we want all the stuff for ourselves. Yeah. Like I want Plenty as much of this. Canadians thing. too. <laughs> okay, yeah. so it's just like I want all the stuff, and I need all the stuff, yeah. and I want all the stuff. I deserve all the stuff. I work so I can have all the stuff. Get out of my way so I can have yeah, that stuff. I want to have my stuff. Mm-hmm. I need, I need, I need my stuff at all costs. And so there is that, but there is this joy when people discover, like when they 
move to a neighborhood and suddenly they like their neighbors and the neighborhood is like collectively solving issues or whatever. And it's like, oh, that's that's a really cool feeling. Like yeah. we all have what we need. So no one's in want of anything. If there is a problem, we can collectively solve it. And you don't lose your, like if you want space and time by yourself, you can still get the space and time by yourself, but you can also be involved in a community. And so I think having having AI solve a lot of the uh, tougher labor equations and getting people off of those like dangerous jobs that are just monotonous and really kind of soul sapping uh, will potentially put people in a state where they can think about, well, what, what do I want to do? Like, mm. what else can I do? What, what, what can I do with my life? You know, I really like, I really like a needle point, you know, mm. or whatever and yeah. get in a needle, needle point uh, or whatever and, and, or solving problems out in the community, whatever it is. But I think that there's a potential that 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 might occur because I don't think people like to not be useful. So I think, I don't know, perhaps it might it might trigger something like that. But we need to get past the the, the virus that is taking hold. This moment. Yes. I've yeah. been waiting for the lying flat uh, trend to come. Do you know about lying flat mm -mm. In, in China? Be, no, it became a, uh, a protest in China against the Chinese work hours and oh. the grind and it was where workers were just lying flat in play in public spaces oh wow uh, not planking but like a similar f physical position <laughs> but um that was also like quiet quitting you know that whole sort of idea like oh. we're just not going to do this anymore quietly passively yeah. non-aggressively you can't make us yeah anymore i prefer not to thank you yeah and i think i feel it happening here i i'm like I feel it bubbling up. I feel like all of the, especially the women that I'm talking to right now in this country are like, we're, we're not going to do this anymore. We're, we're so sorry. This hasn't worked out for us at all. Um, we're going to move to Nashville and buy a farm. And yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you can do whatever the fuck you want to do. I mean, ultimately, and, uh, um, it's important for, I think when people get freed up of time, I think that that's when they start thinking about, Oh, well, I think maybe, I you know, I always wanted to do this. Like, I think, I think I could do that. Mm -hmm. But imagine like if you have an AI assistant that has your intelligence, but times a hundred thousand and has access instantaneously to all kinds of information yeah. and can present you multiple options in order to solve and create pathways and, and roadmaps to achieving certain goals. And you're constantly evolving that relationship. I mean, I don't know. It's like, I, I'm like, well, good luck trying to hold people down through this because it's not efficient and AI wouldn't look at our current system and say it's efficient. It's terrible. Yeah. And AI would, would be like all of the resources are not distributed properly. It's only benefiting this tiny percentage yes. of the population. Yeah. Yeah. And all the violence is perpetrated, uh, by a small amount of people, uh, across the planet. And they're all just a bunch of basically like snakes. They're just, they're just like a, like a, well, snakes are cool, but, but you know, they're like a bunch of, uh, mosquitoes. Now, um, nah, dang, I, I love I, mosquitoes. Oh, damn it. Okay. Well maybe they're like, uh, like mitochondria, now, uh, but you know, I mean, it's like, it's like they all have similar, they're driven by the same thing, but they would kill each other in an instant. Yeah. It's right. like a pit of, you know, vipers or whatever that, that term is. So it's, you know, any AI is going to look at that and be like, what the hell are you guys doing? Yeah. Rabbit you, shit weasels. Stop. You, you have, yes, you have. <laughs> yes. Especially those, the worst, <laughs> worst, hate them. rabies and weasel and poop. No. Yeah. That's gross. That's like the maximum gross. It's not going to end well at all. And it's going to happen over time, which is even more frightening. And they're just going to get bigger. And they're going to get bigger. Uh, no, it's just like, 
and you know, it looks at a system like that. It's like the, the nothing is distributed properly. You're not investing in populations, and that's a huge amount of brain trust. And you're wasting your brain trust on letting all these people sur- barely survive, and they're in a survival mode. And then, like in our cultures, it's like, well, you can buy more stuff, and you can you can fill up your life with buying a ton of stuff, and that that makes up for it. That's why you, you know you work, you get to buy a bunch of stuff, and get drink some beers and go to some football games after 9 11 man yeah bush was like get out there and start buying stuff everyone that's the solution yeah it's crazy i know that's true and and how can that be a great i mean where's the what's what's the great solution in that there's no upward mobility there's no enlightenment there's no evolution in that it's just a temporary back to fear yes back to fear Mm mm-hmm and, you know, and people are afraid of like not having a roof over their head, all this stuff, you know, and people are living without those things. So, but there's no shortage of supplies. We have all the water, we have all the food. It can go to everybody. We could be solving some pretty incredible problems. Unlimited en- energy is potentially right around the corner with fusion. And as AI becomes uh, more used uh, in for projects like that, we may see more rapid a- escalation of, of technologies, new hypersonic engines that use a, a third the fuel. Uh, you bigger know, magnets. Yeah, bigger magnets. Yeah, larger, bigger magnets. No dependency on rare earth metals anymore. Now battery chemistries are made of very plentiful materials all over the planet. Yep. There's like so many solutions that AI could figure out because it is not emotionally uh, biased. Yeah. That makes me feel so much better. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. Yeah. Because coming at it from a place of our rulers seem to just mm. be moving ahead and they're like, best of luck to the rest of the world. And things are getting feels worse. bad. Yeah. But yeah. thinking of it as like embracing it and using it, wield your own sword from yeah. it. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I think it's, I think in the end, everyone's just wants to have a good time. And if you can, if you can change people's minds by giving them more access to the free, the free spirited aspect of themselves, which is their true self. Once you taste that, that's like a pretty powerful drug, mm. and you know that that could happen. And they can repeat it a few times, and suddenly it starts becoming the base reality. Then there's less room and less tolerance for people who are negative and who are fear based and just not. They're just too lazy to figure their shit out, so they're just going to project on everybody else. People are like, "What are you doing? I see exactly what you're doing. Go work on your shit, yeah, or get the fuck out of here." Yeah. And uh and it's like you're welcome back anytime, but we we're not doing that shit. This is this is not it's not going to work here. Yeah. Wow. So figure it out. <laughs> and get rid of the hesitation loops. Oh yeah, my god, the hesitation loops. Yeah, you gotta yeah, you practice you gotta practice first impulse. Just think Whew. of it, do it. Strong and sometimes wrong, but that's okay. That's okay. That's equally as good Failure as right. Failure is 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 just as valuable as success. So important. We um, are at exactly one twenty. Oh great! Let's wrap. Cool. Let's yeah. wrap it. This has been such an incredible time. Thank you so much. Wait, um, I have one question. Oh Jesus, I'm sorry. Mike. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to. I have to go. Yeah. What? All right. It's if I don't have another opportunity, I just had a false start because of you. No, it's my bad. I'm high. I'm having a great time. I like talking and connecting. Like it felt good in this episode too. As we kept talking, the veils kept like dropping and we all got more connected. It was really nice. Definitely. Definitely. Such a good feeling. 100%. All right, I'll leave it at that. That's a better one. Oh, Go well, ahead, okay. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> I was just going to say, can you please tell everyone where they can get your book oh. and what you're doing next, or oh. if you have anything that you want people to look out for, because I know you've got so much happening. Yeah, I well, the book can be gotten at, uh, I would suggest, local bookstores first. 
You can order them. Some local bookstores will mail them to you too, but it's good to use local book bookstores. Uh, if not that, uh, you can order it on Amazon. Um, and uh, oh, it's on Audible. That's I did, what I yes. checked out. It's great. I, I did an Audible. Uh, I called an, an Audible. I think I think that's it. And then yeah, just yeah, wherever books are sold ultimately. But uh, and are you still on the road promoting it, or do you have shows coming up? Uh, I did my last thing like two two nights ago, three nights ago at Vroman's. Um, I think that was the last. Thing. I think I'm going to continue to do some press events along the way, uh, but the tour tour is is over. So okay. we'll see. Hopefully, it does well. I don't know. I just want to sell sell over 300 copies. Over 300 copies. Let's okay. get there. We're, and then, we're on the way. And then hit the screens with it. I can't wait. <laughs> yes. Um, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. It's just an absolute pleasure to talk to you about everything. And when you have your next installments of the Seattle book, the New York book, or anything else that you have yeah. going on, please, please, please come back. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I'll be call be calling you for stories. So yeah. yeah. Also, I, I actually had a, a picture. Do you remember this? Radio play. Yeah. The best. That was a good summer. That was a, yeah. That was a good time. That was so good. Radio play was Havala and awesome. Beth and oh, yeah. Jen Rondo. Yeah, that's right. Who's, is this where you did 10 minutes for the first time? I did the fatal attraction in 10 minutes piece as a part of this yeah. radio play that was all sort of in darkness as Reggie was the maestro. And then like these amazing actors, Havala and Beth would come on and do sketches basically yeah. with Joel and yeah. um, Marshall, uh, right? Yes. Yes. yes Marshall McLuhan. Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And it was uh, directed by Tommy. Kip. Uh huh. Oh, Kip. Yeah. So Tommy was in it, though. Yes. Or he, yeah, he worked on the script. He was, yeah, he worked on the script. Mm -hmm. so that's what it was. Oh, that's right. It was Kip, Kip. Fagan. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Damn. Okay. Such Anyways. a fun. And the last piece that happened in uh, PS122. That's right. On the main stage. We were the very last production. We there. saw it out. And I remember, I'll never forget, you gave me a dropper full of a weed tincture one night in the East Village. And I rode my bike home through the rain back to that place I had in Chelsea with Scott. Oh. And it, I felt like I was flying. Oh my I've God. never forgotten that. Oh, that's... Best bike ride of my life. Thanks oh. to your weed tincture. Oh, yes. <laughs> weed, weed, weed. <laughs> Anyways. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Bye, everyone. Bye.